Hello, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of One Vision. Today, we are joined by Sue Britton, co-CEO of FGS, Fintech Growth Syndicate. And welcome to the show, Sue. Thank you very much. I'm so uh, excited to be here. So before we start, can you tell us a little bit more about your company, um, which you have started quite a few years ago? What do you guys do and what prompted you to start? Yeah, um, so uh, we tend to sort of shorten our name from Fintech Growth Syndicate to FGS. Um, and uh, and there's a story behind why I'm co-CEO, because um, I, I am the founder and I have been the CEO for a while. Um, uh, but I started the company uh, at the end of 2015, and it was really after spending 25 years in corporate, you know, sort of leadership roles, realizing that I didn't have the the stuff to to you know sort of keep um uh excel sort of i guess pursuing that next role and that next role um and i wanted to really try being an entrepreneur uh and and so i essentially took what i had been doing my whole career and you know thought i could make a business out of it which was helping um big uh incumbents innovate and uh, it was, I, I kind of approached it with with all sorts of, uh, I don't know, <laughs> naivete and uh, um, and maybe, you know, unrealistic um, uh, aspirations at the time. Because it was the end of 2015, FinTech still was, people were still debating what the definition was, at least in Canada, um, you know, what really makes a FinTech. Um, thank goodness we're well past that. But um and so uh, I started the company to be um, essentially a, you know, consultancy for incumbents to help them figure out what they should do in response to all of this market disruption. Um, we also had a, uh, a secondary um, or a second part of the business that was, you know, helping them figure it out. So a bit of strategy and then actually doing it with them or for them. Um, and um, I sold the second part uh, this summer. So um, that business was really successful and my business partner really wanted to kind of take it and um, go go big and go in a, a di different direction. So we're still, I'm, you know, definitely supporting him, but um, now myself and my, you know, kind of FinTech guru, um, whose name is Jeet Bati, um we've taken uh, the the fintech assets of fgs and we're we're relaunching the company so we're co-ceos so that's the long-winded way of saying but but truly in essence we are we really you know believe that um the big guys can find their way to innovate and um and you know get uh out of the past and into the future, and that's what we do. Well, one of the things that I think is is most interesting about uh, entrepreneurs like yourself is that we came out of this corporate life, and we knew yeah. that there was a way to sort of change the model and uh, tame the beast in a different way. Uh, and, and when you talk about fintech, and when you talk about maybe the focus of what you're going to be doing or what you're doing with this piece of, of your past here, uh, no matter what geography 
you look at fintech funding, especially hottest sector in venture. Uh, when it comes to Canada and fintech, what are some of the verticals that you get most excited about and, and why? Tell us how you're involved and what gets you going. Well, you know, it's we. I just finished a podcast with a new company that just launched in Canada, um, chose Canada after launching in four other countries from Ireland called Swoop. And, um, and a lot of what's fueling uh, their entry into Canada is open banking. And, um, you know, and so what's really hot right now is, is the, I guess, plan for open banking to um, be launched in Canada sometime in early 2023. Um, as a sort of, a, in you know, we like to say, you know, a hybrid of everybody else's, you know, good good decisions around the world, whether it's in the UK or Australia or elsewhere, um, we're going to do a made in Canada open banking solution. And, um, and so there'll be, you know, it'll be part regulator, part industry. Um, but yeah, so that's one of the big, big things that's attracting a lot of, um, we have 1700 fintechs in Canada, which is kind of crazy when you think about not just the startups, but companies that are operating here anywhere from as big as Fiserv and FIS to, you know, Swoop, who's 90 employees and, you know, um, just opened their doors in, in, in Canada a couple of weeks ago. So that's one. Um, I think the other thing that, um, like, we've been, got, we've been going, undergoing sort of a modernization of our payment systems in Canada for at least a decade. Um, I don't know if you can say that if something takes 10 years long that you can still call it modernization, but um, but it's uh, regardless, um, uh, there's a lot of people working really hard to modernize our, some of the existing payment systems and that's creating, at some point there'll be access to our payment systems um, to non-financial institutions. Um, and there's already a lot of workarounds to get around um, being blocked by uh, not having an FI partner, you know, like the prepaid space or um, or banking as a service or what have you. So all of that is really exploding in Canada as well. And um, yeah, and we're also seeing a lot of vertical market, um, uh, you know, cool, like interesting, both horizontal, horizontal and vertical market stuff. Like small businesses in Canada are woefully underserved and you know software companies and accounting platforms i mean square launched um their um uh it's essentially a uh it's a deposit account but it's it's effectively a let's call it a bank product loosely defined as a bank product but to us to a merchant it is right i can put my money in this account and i can use this card to spend it um so, you know, Stripe's opening an office here. Like there's a lot of attention on the small business sector. That's a good thing, actually. We, we um, in, the, in the US, the, the small business market is also very, very, very poorly served. Yeah. Um, so like, <laughs> wait to see more changes happening there. Because at the mm -hmm. end of the day, we do talk a lot about small businesses being the, the backbone of economies, right? Yeah. That's what keeps things going. 
Um, let's switch gear a little bit. In, in the beginning, you talked about coming off from corporate life, and we talked mm. a little bit about how the ecosystem has changed or been changing, mm. or at least it seems like it's changing. Um, so when it comes to fintechs, when it comes to incumbent banks, and now when it comes to big techs, we mm -hmm. seem to be going around and around in circle about fintech eating the bankers lunch and then partnership between fintech and incumbents because they need each other to survive and then big techs where are we now I'm losing track in terms of how do we describe <laughs> yeah. the ecosystem and and what does the canadian uh marketplace look like mm -hmm. Well, I mean, overall, the marketplace in Canada is big and vibrant and, you know, we've got lots of money flowing in, um, lots of money in Canada, lots of money coming into Canada. Um, talent is, I think, a big issue for a lot of people, um, a lot of organizations, regardless of fintech, just because of, um, you know, the pandemic and people making, you know, fairly significant change of life decisions like moving to the country or changing careers. Um, but I would say like what's happened in Canada is still um, like if you, if you look to the actual activity, it's still very much FinTechs scaling on their own and partnering with each other um, or buying each other like Mogo, which is one of the oldest um, I think they launched in early 2000s. They're a, a challenger, um, uh, you know, probably a neo bank is what you might call them, but a challenger bank. Got over a million um, customers, and they've bought a micro savings uh, company. Um, they've bought a, a payment processing company called Carta. That's a global company. They they have launched, uh, you know, crypto products like they're they're you know sort of expanding to go beyond you know their first initial product and i think that's more of what we're seeing is fintechs partnering with fintechs um the tech companies you know we talk a lot we it's the same narrative here as i'm sure it is in the us and other places you know we talk a lot about the tech companies and being nervous about them you know stealing our customers and if you're in a bank or an insurance company and um you know like in canada most of those organizations are marketing companies and so what happens is the you know the product becomes an extension of what was launched in another market so the fact that square launched you know something similar to square cash you know i expect we'll see into it um do similar things and uh you know and then uh, like there's the normal i mean amazon amazon is more um you know just uh with the pandemic in canada making it very difficult for retailers to deal with um this you know growing e-commerce um uh both supply chain and um and cost base but we don't really see tech giants doing a whole lot of partnering with anybody. And then when it comes to the banks, I think like Canada has six big banks that are 90% of the, of the uh, market. So they have 90% of our mortgages, our, our primary accounts, our basic you know, financial products. 
Um, and, and they have built their, you know, our biggest one is Royal Bank. And I think they're, I don't know, let's say 80 or 90,000 employees. Like there is no, like the technology is all built in house over years and years and years. Um, and so there's still, I think, a lot of technology, um, you know, cleanup happening and not a lot of, you know, sort of consumer or business facing product partnering happening. Like in terms of, you know, probably the most innovative one, um, uh, or at least in terms of the question you're asking is, you know, National Bank bought a company called Flinks, which is very much like Plaid. Um, in fact, probably bigger than Plaid in Canada in terms of its role, because they started as a Canada first um, aggregator and now open banking um, solution provider. And National Bank has done a good chunk of partnering and, and M&A and with fintechs. But it's still, it's still, I don't know if it's so much, um, you know, the, the incumbents and the fintechs kind of duking it out. I just don't think that they've found each other to be good. Um, uh, they've found good opportunities yet. Right? I think open banking will force that. Well, it's it's not you know dissimilar than than a lot of markets. You have five or six very large players dominating you know three hundred and forty million people's relationships in the U.S. and mm. throughout Asia and throughout Europe. You, you're talking two or three big banks. What's interesting, I think, about the opportunity in Canada and it seems to be Canada Week uh, this week. Everybody's moving to Canada. Everybody's uh, talking about Canada. <laughs> That's uh, awesome. <laughs> well, and, and you know, with it's with just... due course, because I think in the next hundred years, you're going to see. You know, obviously, Asia is going to take over sort of the, the global economy to a certain point, but the opportunities in Africa for being sort of the most populous continent. But Canada, you know, in the next hundred years is going to see a rapid in, influx of new people. You know, mm -hmm. you're going from a little under 40 million in population to mm -hmm. what likely will be the most hospitable, climate friendly place for mm -hmm. more people to immigrate to. And mm -hmm. that's going to create a challenge to serve people well with six banks and with, you know, Van City and others that are sort of part of that mix. Mm -hmm. When when you think about the indigenous community that I think a lot of banks have this question mark about that's already in Canada. And mm -hmm. you look at the community focused fintechs that have arisen in the US and in Europe and in other places, including those that serve LGBTQ, our friends at Daylight, mm -hmm immigrants or gig workers or musicians uh, with nerve bank um, do you see those type of trends in canada or do you see them sort of evolving because banks can't just serve everybody if they don't understand them so so where do you think mm. that's headed in your market oh boy it's such a heavy question because canadians are i think in general are very um embarrassed about you know some of the things that have come out recently around, um, you know, the way we've treated the indigenous population back in the 60s and 70s. And um, so it's it's one of those things that's making me wince to talk to you guys about, because like, I don't know if you've, if you've um, followed any of that, but, um, you know, 
we have some we have some uh, stuff we need to um, uh, address and fix and and uh, having said that, I think um, I think that we are starting to see some emphasis on um, you know some of those you know community or um, like uh, solutions that are addressing a need for a specific segment of the market because that need is you know whether it's ge geographically or demographically or what have you like different than just you know the average um, consumer or business but it's but it's only just starting there's an organization um, uh, based out of Montreal that um, is called fintech cadence um it's, it's a it's a nonprofit, um and uh, puts a lot of effort into building up the community um because montreal like aside from toronto montreal's you know very very much a community-based um fintech market you know everyone knows everyone and everyone supports everyone toronto's bigger and so it's a little more um and it's been around a little bit longer so it's probably a little more competitive frankly um than the montreal market but fintech cadence is a great organization and they have um uh an entrepreneur out of mars um mars is our probably most well-known um uh public private uh funded accelerator in canada um it's called mars discovery district and so one of the entrepreneurs that came out out of that um, launched a, a group called Innovate Financial Health, and they have a they have a they've joined FinTech Cadence, and so like last week they did their you know they did a, a pitch night and we saw eight um, new entrants of which half had female founders, which is nice to see, um, and then a number of those different fintechs were very much as you said, Bradley, like a, you know. Um, but it's but it's it's just starting. It's not nowhere near mainstream. Um, and I don't know if some of it has to do with the fact that we're a very big country from a like a land mass perspective, and not a very big population. So, um, like there has been historically challenges reaching and servicing people in our rural areas, um, which are you know, like. Some of our provinces are bigger than, you know, most countries. <laughs> so when you when you have to travel to, you know, get to a branch or get to, um, you know, a, a post office, it's sometimes very difficult. Um, so yeah, it's not a topic that, frankly, I know a ton uh, about and and haven't really studied much. But um, that also is might be indicative of the fact that there just aren't that many. Yeah, aren't that many um, companies focusing on that? But I think that'll change. I mean, it, you, you'd have to be, you know, um, on a desert island not to see what's happening uh, around us and hear about what's happening, you know, at COP26 or from a, you know, sustainability, climate, diversity, you know, you name it, right? Like. There's got to be a need for climate finance related fintechs um, just starting to just become, you know, become 
things. I don't know, is it different anywhere else? Like, is it, what's it like in the US? I think in the last year, so we have definitely seen more community-based fintech startups mm -hmm. um, that, that has popped up that addresses different needs of demographics for Asian Americans, for um, African Americans, for, you know, Latinos. And, and so more of, of a community-based, like be it ethnicity or like what Bradley was saying earlier, LGBTQ, or there's you know aspiration that addresses climate financing. So there are more that mm -hmm. has popped up. I think it's an interesting trend because we're seeing something similar in Europe as well, and and it's it's needed, right? Because yeah. it's really hard to have a one size fits all. Now, with that being said, I do hope we will see more actions on on climate to address climate crisis and sustainability. Mm -hmm. Thing mm -hmm. what's been a little disappointing, if you will, is there's a lot of drumbeat and there's a lot of awareness mm -hmm. when it comes to real action and looking at the impact. I think that's still lacking. There's so much, yeah. so many news going on. When recently I read about a lot of funds that changed their names to make mm -hmm. it look green, whereas everything under the hood is still the exact same <laughs> assets, and and it makes you question why would you even do that, right? Be yeah. Because at the end of the day, this is our planet. We have one planet. This is our home. All of us live on it. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, I digressed. I digressed. But that was something you talked about earlier about the land mass in Canada. Mm -hmm. and that was something we talked to Barb in an early episode as well as we talked about financial inclusion and digital divide and how, especially in the last two years with everything that has happened, it just brought to light how many mm -hmm. more people are not well served that need to be served. So that brings mm -hmm. me to the point in the industry, there are a lot of people that talk about the need to close branches because branch are not relevant anymore or about mm -hmm. cash is going to go away. Cash is going to die because everyone is going to, to be using some sort of digital banking or digital assets. Mm -hmm. and what have you. I have my take on it, but I would love to hear yours. <laughs> what do you think? And yeah. where do you think financial inclusion, true financial inclusion will be? Mm -hmm. I have actually a very, um, I don't know if I have a typical point of view on financial inclusion, but um, um, you're right. Like they, you know, we have, we have uh, a lot of branches um, across Canada uh, that would be considered, you know, in rural areas and, you know, like they need to, we need them, right? People are spread out so, uh, so much geographically across Canada with being such a big country that, um, uh, and digital is not, while it's, you know, in urban areas, we've seen, you know, near a hundred percent adoption, you know, um, out of necessity, uh it's not the case in uh in rural parts of canada but um so financial includes so in canada we have very few unbanked um canadians like in the you know well 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 under a million um and and so 
you know, that that problem is, um, I think, is, is not one to focus on as part of this. I think the um, underbanked is an area where where I, you know, sort of look at financial inclusion and say, what, what does that actually mean? Um, you know, and I think that for small businesses, I mean, I would say almost every single small business in Canada, which is, you know, 1.2 million of them are underbanked. You know, they're either in the wrong product, they're, they're not served by their financial institution or, um, yeah, they just, I mean, it's, it's been historically been a very expensive segment to serve by financial institutions and, but yet the only, um, source of, you know, other than, you know, other sources of funding, if you're a startup, but as a business, just generally like, um, maybe then we've got Shopify, <laughs> right. Who's like, um, you know, one of our Canadian, uh, uh, you know, major Canadian success stories who launches Shopify Capital in 13 days in Canada and is now, you know, probably 10% of the loan volume for working capital for, for, uh, for merchants. But so financial inclusion is, I think, a, is a big issue. And, um, but it, it's, it, I think it, it isn't limited to, you know, people that are, without jobs or without sufficient incomes or without it's it's also driven by um legacy technology and too much regulation um and regulation that is just taking i think we're one of the world economic forum i can't remember what the ranking is but a uh, called but like we're like i don't know in the bottom you know group of companies when it comes to uh, you know, restricting our comp our ability to compete, and so like, yeah, it's I, I don't. It's it's an interesting topic. Um, to me, it's all about you know, does everybody have a fair opportunity to get access to what they need, how they need to, where they need to, you know, um, and how much is technology enabling that. I would I, I've long sort of argued that the sort of underbanked is about ninety to ninety five percent of every single economy mm -hmm. uh, because mm -hmm. we're not placed in you know what type of services and products people really need whether you're a business or an individual or consumer everything is very much extractive in this industry and yet yeah. we need banking you know we need to be able to move money and to save money and to store money and to invest in money and to invest in companies and build of capital and leave a legacy and all of these things. And yet the industry has not changed enough. No. But they've done some things right mm -hmm. on occasion. And we need to you know laud them for that. Mm -hmm. During the, the the last financial crisis, um the banking industry, you know, since the great recession received a lot of backlash. And I think the entire mm -hmm. fintech sort of uprising uh, and the capital formation around fintech and all the money that's gone into VC, especially this past year or two, uh, yeah. was purposeful. Now, with COVID, though, in the pandemic, mm -hmm. some things have worked, some things didn't work, but the banking industry responded and they stepped mm -hmm. up in a lot of ways and fintech alongside it. 
what what's your take on on what the industry you know did over the pandemic in terms of good and bad and you know what are some of the things that stood out to you on either side of that well i mean it's like i don't know if you hear this um from other folks but canada didn't really um have too much of a hit in the recession uh in 2007 2008 and we like to we like to you know sort of say that that's because our banks are very risk averse and um and so we didn't get ourselves into a situation you know like other parts of the world did um and so the i've always felt like the problem with that is that while we might have avoided the recession the big big impacts of the recession in 2008 it created a false sense of comfort with the way banks were operating and um as like i spent my career in before i started this company and you know pretty much most of the big technology companies that service banks and i can tell you that the technology and the code and the like the resourcing um like it's a huge problem it's legacy it's old it's you know um anyway i mean there's enough there's enough out there that you can uh, read about that but i think what so on the one hand i think our financial institutions have done a great job of responding to interestingly responding very quickly to things like you know getting um uh you know government funds in people's accounts so we have we did a few great things um from a pay from payments innovation perspective with um interac who's one of our um bigger uh, technology companies in canada that operate our debit um system and and so together and they're owned by the banks interacts owned by the banks also has some they're not solely banks but um um and so together they were able to get money in people's accounts very very quickly like days um and that can be attributed to you know email money transfer or e-transfer that is a system that's worked really well for a while um so you know so that's great but our regulators um you know we're not willing to consider for instance having any of the alternative lenders help to um, distribute any of those funds um and there's there was like there's you know probably a dozen different um government subsidized or or you know funded programs and they can you know still to this day they can only be distributed through um the regulated financial institutions and so you know i think that is still a very you know difficult thing to um, accept because there's no good reason for it <laughs> and i say that having been you know involved in a bunch of different um projects over the last year and a half where you know we've looked to find reasons why a lender like you know we, in canada we have one called thinking capital and it's part of the uh, purpose financial portfolio they've been lending to small businesses since don't quote me but i think it's since 2010 um very reputable you know i think they're in the billion or so if not more um 
really well-funded, you know, uh, and yet they were, because they're not prudentially regulated and because they don't report to, in Canada, it's called FinTrack, from an AML perspective, they're not, con they're considered too high risk. And it's just like that kind of stuff just makes, because, you know, they would be happy to report to FinTrack. Like there's this narrative about how, you know, because fintechs aren't regulated, they must be high risk. Um, and I just, you know, it's just something that has been a challenge uh, throughout the pandemic. But the good, the other good news is that um, we're seeing Canadian consumers and businesses adopt um, non-bank products at a much faster pace. And I think that's, you know, out of necessity. So we've got a bunch of really great challenger banks. We had a new bank, um, a new challenger bank launch two years ago. The founder of Skip the Dishes, one of the, the founders of Skip the Dishes, which they, when they sold that, they started up a company called Neo Financial, who, and, you know, their path was partner with a couple of banks to use their license and offer a savings and a credit product. Um, and uh, and they're, I don't know, in two years, they're 500 employees. Like they're just, they're growing like crazy, doing really, really well. So we are seeing some, you know, despite all of the, despite the structure of the market, we're seeing good fintechs get, start to get scale. Um, and when I talked to like Swoop today and listened to them say how they chose Canada because it's just got such great opportunity and like, you know, they're from Ireland and they've got like how many other different places they could pick. I feel pretty proud that maybe we're getting somewhere. <laughs> like maybe we're actually, you know, maybe the adoption of, uh, you know, fintech like products is, is starting to really, you know, kind of go up the curve a bit. I don't even know if I answered your question, Bradley, but <laughs> but I, I I just think in general the pandemic has um, I mean the banks have done really well they made more money than they made the year before so you know that, that's a, that's what banks do that is what yeah. banks do they just make a lot of money and you yeah. know that that's why there's so much money in fintech and there's so much money mm -hmm. from venture going into this because why should you make money on money there's something that should be given back and it's you know so it's 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 good to hear that. Canada has a robust growing fintech industry that is acting as a mm -hmm. foil to banks. But, you know, given, you know, codependent challenges that both of our nations face, it's it's not going to be any different going forward. There's going to be a lot of collaboration, a lot of sort of need to recognize the interdependence between the banking industry and fintech startups and large tech. So yeah. it's good to hear. So we appreciate uh, your ability to sort of create well, the canadian environment in that answer <laughs> and i'd love to I, i'd love to say that uh, i feel like it's starting to like the, you know you know the balls the ball's got to be in someone's court who has more than the other right or it's their turn and in this case i think the ball is maybe not necessarily going to continue to be in the bank's court because i think um and you know back to my comment about being naive when i started my my company and you know we we won a bunch of awards we were one of the top growing companies in canada blah 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 um but what i think is happening is 
we're seeing in and uh, maybe this is you guys help me sort of like if, um make this uh i guess a more relevant point but what i see happening is uh companies in canada are embedding financial products in the services that they offer so biggest one of the biggest but are one of the biggest grocer grocery um uh providers in canada loblaws provides you know their money it um products um through all it's looking like so i go there for my but now I'm actually looking after my health needs, my doctor's appointments, therapy appointments. And now I'm also looking after all my banking, right? And like, we're starting to see the financial product and um, transaction becoming embedded in something I do every day, like I'm using or where I'm shopping or, and I think that's going to change. And I think that's why banking as a service is being, is off in Canada because you know I don't know I mean I don't know if this is going to happen in the U.S. or what you guys think about, about that as a trend but the you know kick the ball out of the bank's court I mean I don't like people say you know um you know we don't need we need banking but we don't need banks that is forever the uh, the golden quote that I shall remember. Yeah. It's been going on for yeah. a while. Let's see when that happens. Yeah. But um, anyway, thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Sue. It's it's uh, we love having different voices and we love having different friends from different places. Even though you're just right up there, so yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. And um, for the rest of you, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of One Vision. We will talk to you all next week.